everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. So good to have you with us. I am joined again today by Stephen Vance, who serves the Lord in Christian ministry and also has a master's level degree in clinical counseling. He carries on a counseling practice as well as being engaged in Bible teaching. This is part two of our discussion on the Christian's mental or emotional health and the battle with depression. In the first part of our discussion, we talked about how our minds are important to God. God cares about the emotional and mental health of his people. We talked about what depression actually is and how anxiety and stress relate to that. We touched a little bit on Elijah's story as recorded in the scriptures. I'm going to play the rest of our discussion now today. It's going to comprise some steps from Stephen on how to properly care for our emotional, our mental health, and some very practical guidance on coping with the difficulty when we're in the midst of it. I'm going to begin it with about 90 seconds, just picking up from the first part of our discussion, just to give you some context for the remainder of my discussion with Stephen Vance. We see this in what Jesus uh, taught, you know, his disciples, uh, Matthew, or sorry, Mark 6, you know, they've just experienced the traumatic loss of John the Baptist being murdered. And they're about to host a dinner party for 5,000 men, women, and children. <laughs> it's a hugely stressful event. And in the middle, Jesus says, come apart with me and rest. Uh-huh. So this whole idea of rest and Sabbath and taking care of ourselves is not Jesus models it, our Lord models it. And, and this is not ungodly. This is biblical. So, uh, you know, if the self-care label is triggering, we can call it that it's we're just valuing what God has valued. We're taking care of ourselves. It's like good stewardship. And I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't consider myself under Sabbath law, but I also consider myself unwise if I ignore that Sabbath principle. It's, it's, uh, as the Lord Jesus said, Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's meant to be yes. to us. And I guess what you were when you were reflecting on your own experience from the past a little bit early on in your ministry, uh, that was maybe something that you were lacking or not appreciating, right? Huge, huge. Yeah, I didn't keep Sabbath. I was always, always working. What is some guidance, Stephen, to uh, prevent us from going down that path of being a workaholic or just burning ourselves out or being overwhelmed with stress? Do you have some guidance that you can help us? Or maybe we're, maybe we're already in the midst of that. How can we get out of that cycle? So I've, um, I mean, everybody's situation is unique, but I've noticed three main areas. I call them the three R's. You know, you have reading, writing, arithmetic. I talk about rest, relationships, and uh, reframe. And I think maybe one, you know, maybe the first one is the most relevant to what you're speaking to right now. If stress is the cause of of some depressions or even many depressions, it, it kind of makes sense that relaxation is going to be a preventative ma- uh, measure or, or maybe even a, you know, a sort of a coping goal. You know, there's a lot of resonance here between psychology and scripture. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the body. And so just, just some level of movement, um, you know, taking care of my body by some regular exercise, even just a, even just a walk. And it's interesting, you see that we referenced the, the story of Elijah. And this is one of the things that God gave to him, you know, he's depressed and God says, go, go back the way you came, right? Start moving. 
And it's a really common feature of people that are, are depressed that they, they can't do anything all day. So sometimes it's really helpful to start with, you know, not overwhelming, but just what's one thing I could do each day? Or maybe I'm not that depressed, uh, but I'm sort of in a, in a discouraged mood. Maybe there's sort of planning out my day. I do one thing in the morning, one thing in the afternoon, one thing in the evening, you know, sort of to get myself activated and for for physical exercise to be to be part of that. Well, I'm glad to say that I went to the gym today. So glad that I did that. I haven't done it a lot like that I did it on this day that we're recording anyway. Very good. Very good. I haven't. <laughs> My wife is great at this. She she uh, she does a lot of walking and it's it's really, really helpful, clears the mind for her. And also it can be a place, it's another part of this whole rest and slowing down, um, you know, taking care of our bodies is because, I mean, exercise can be rest, right? Um, but there's also the piece of, of meditation. Um, and, I mean, if you went to a secular counselor, they talk about this. But it's it's really resonant in the scriptures too, right? So you, you think about what the Lord says to Elijah, you know, the still, small voice. And when Elijah is confronting Ahab and Jezebel, when he's on the run, he doesn't have the stillness to hear the quiet whisper of the Lord. And so sometimes there's a real blessing in being able to just, maybe it's some devotional readings, or, or maybe it's uh, being able to, just as you go on your walk, just to notice the things in nature. Right? So it may not actually be the physical exercise of the thing, that could be part of it, but it could also be the paying attention and just being aware and, and kind of just quiet. Yeah, I, I do think that I appreciate the calmness that comes from the beauty of nature far more than I used to. I live right in the city and I'm quite happy to do that, but it is also nice to have times where you can get to a green space or we get to the ocean where I live. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And you breathe deeply, think about the God who is in control of all of this. It's very helpful. Yeah. And another part of, of things that bring rest um, so there's a lot of dimensions to it, but uh, music can be a part of it as well, right? And it's not that, you know, when you're feeling depressed, you need to listen to music that's hugely on the other end, right? Because sometimes maybe, maybe there's, you're going through a sad time in your life and it's a time of grieving. And actually you'll feel a, a comfort by being able to be with, you know, that music that's expressing your sadness to the Lord. But maybe it is also that piece of being able to, you know, remind myself of the blessings that I have in the Lord and, and the good things of God. Um, and music can be a, a huge channel for emotions, whether they're sadness or whether they're happiness. You know, all of these emotions are, are, are the emotions of God. God has these emotions. So we can bring them before him, whether we're sad or happy or anything in between some songs that are very meaningful to me that um, you know, maybe I would be blasting extra loud in the car, maybe singing along to them or maybe just lifting my heart to God as they play because of, as you say, because of the emotions that that draws out from you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my own life, we, we had a son, Matthew, who died in 2011. And um, our kids were really young. And we had this 
set of songs that was playing in the car and our kids latched onto it. They probably didn't even know all the words. And one of the songs was, God is in control. We believe that his children will not be forsaken. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside him. We know he's in control. And, you know, the God ministered to to me through that song and my kids' passion to sing it. <laughs> you know, and it, it expressed a note of, of hope was really, really, um, really special for me. Another one in that time really spoke to me was, uh, you know, Matt Redman's song, um, You Never Let Go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near. Speaks to, it's not all joyful, hopeful. It's, it's painful. He says, why will I not turn back? I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Oh no, you never let go. Through the calm, through the storm, oh no, you never let go. In every high, in every low, oh no, you never let go. That was a psalm that was a really big comfort to me in a, in a dark time because it spoke to hardness. It didn't varnish it, but to hope it's with me. Think of uh, the song by Casting Crowns, I Will Praise You in This Storm. Uh, it's one that I would turn up and want to hear at times, even when I, I knew that I couldn't praise as I, as I wanted to. Um, yet I wanted to, you know, that, that meant something to me. It was, it's like, I felt like I couldn't give God what I would like to give him, but did appreciate that he was the one that wasn't letting go of me, even if I felt like my grip on him wasn't very strong. Curious, Stephen, when you, just as you go through those lyrics now, does that, what emotions does that evoke within you? Is it, uh, does it bring back? Totally. Yeah. I can feel my heart. If I allowed myself to stay here, I'd begin to cry. Yeah. And then not cries, of bad sadness, it's cries of bittersweetness. Yeah, because even as we went to, I'll tell you something, even as we go to record this today, I'm looking forward to it, but then I, I get just little uh, blips of <laughs> uh, tension in my stomach because just uh, talking about this brings back memories of a dark time. So it's it's hard, even though I know it's good, and I know there's other people that go through it, and Christians down through the ages have, have dealt with it, but it, it brings back difficult circumstances as well. The main attribute of God that has been such a comfort and help to me is just his faithfulness, and I just love the scriptures that say God is faithful. As I just mentioned a moment ago, I, I felt like I wasn't hanging on, but uh, I knew from the Bible, even if it didn't feel like it at times, I knew from the Bible that he said that he was. Absolutely. His grip on us is always stronger than our grip on him. So we're thankful for this relationship with God, but I know you've, you've also got some thoughts on how our relationship with others can be helped to us, preventative medicine and in coping with grief and sorrow as well. Yeah, I think that's the second R, you know, rest, whether it's, you know, exercise, um, slowing down or music, peaceful place. But I think uh, relationship, most people that are depressed, um, and in fact, most mental health challenges have behind them compromised or 
broken relationships. And usually you can predict quality of a person's mental health by the quality of, of their relationships. And so I think relationships are so, so important because we're not just, you know, individual body, soul, spirits, but we are, you know, God is a triune God in relationship and he, he plants us as people in families and in, in churches and in communities. So relationships are so, so important. And I think you see this, for example, in, we were talking about, you know, Elijah, you know, he feels very alone and part of God's guidance to him is to go and find Elisha. So there's going to be a companion in the journey. And um, even, I love the verse in 2 John, where John writes, and he says, I have many things to write to you. I'm not going to write with ink and paper. I trust to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. And I'm not an anti-technology guy. There's lots of benefits to technology, but this whole thing of, you know, face to face connection is so powerful. Um, and I know that when people are really depressed, sometimes they don't want to be with somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet, if if we're able to just get over that hump and even just find one person to connect with briefly, or if we're walking with people that are you know depressed, to just not in a coercive way, but in an encouraging way, just to those places of good relationships, it can be really really uh, helpful. And for those of us maybe that aren't in the crucible of, of discouragement and depression, it's a great time to build, you know, a, a friend uh, network um, that's there for me when, when I get into that harder. Heart. Yeah. Now in my circumstance and in your circumstance, you know, we are both married and Esther is certainly a, a huge help to me through my struggle with depression. In fact, I would say that that out of all of this, it it did bring us closer. I, I likely appreciate her more as a result of the strong support she was to me. So that's it's a blessing of marriage. Obviously, some people who are dealing with this are not married. They are single and maybe they are living on their own. And so they're lonely as well. What what counsel, what word would you have for them right now? Yeah, so that's uh, that can be a... Uh... A challenging journey. I I married a bit later in my 30s. um, So even though it's a fair bit distant in my past, I I still remember that. I think that as human beings, we all need nourishing relationships. And I actually think, uh, you know, as married people, we we need to nourish our marriage. So that's a a life-giving relationship. But single people need to really nourish friendships. And I think it's really important for people that are married to realize this. Sometimes there's an assumption that single people have more time, you know, to help out at at the assembly. And maybe they do, but we need to remember that, you know, I go home to my wife and, and we're able to talk. We have a healthy marriage and we don't have to do anything to arrange that. I mean, yeah, we need to nurture it and, and, and take time for each other, but it may actually take more effort for a single person to, um, have that network of friendship. And it's so, so important. So, you know, one other thing, just to, it may not be relevant to everyone, but um, part of having good relationships 
is what we might call boundaries. And it's, it's not just keeping the good in a good, uh, you know, relationship network, whether it's my marriage or my friends, but it's keeping, you know, the bad out. I mean, scripture speaks to this, you know, that, that in first Corinthians 15, right. That evil company corrupts good morals. Um, and I know that's at a moral level, but we just, we just know this, right. That the people that we are with, do have an influence on us. And so if my depression, if there's any factor within it, that it's due to, you know, being in a a really toxic situation, uh, you know, of of somebody that's hypercritical or maybe even somebody that's, uh, you know, abusive, extreme case. Sometimes there's pieces of, you know, putting up a stiffer wall that I'm not going to allow into my life that are really going to damage my emotional, my emotional stability. You know, I think that's valid. And you need to think through this carefully. Sometimes people with boundaries go really extreme and push everybody out that even, even people that could provide a benefit. So sometimes having a friend that we're able to talk through, is this really helpful for me to be connected to this person. But if over time you'd see a real pattern that, you know, being connected to a certain situation or person is really having a negative toll on your emotional health, you may want to consider at least for a period of time to have a bit more of a, a boundary. And and you can't tell other people what they're going to do, but um, you can decide what you're going to do. So it might be, you know, somebody that's always calling and complaining, right? You, you have the choice to not take the call or uh, somebody, you know, let's say you've experienced abuse, right? To basically not go to places where you're going to be exposed to that person if that's, that's really hard for you. Or maybe it is that you don't need to avoid those places. Maybe you need to share your story with, with somebody else so that you have little bit more a little bit more strength but the basic theme here is to be careful about allowing influences in that are really damaging uh, to my life in christ and to my emotional health points thank you so we've talked about relationships and rest you said your third point was reframing so this is actually a yeah this is a a big piece um and if you were to go to a, you know, a, a secular counselor, they would probably, one of the most common treatments for depression and indeed for, for anxiety is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's this idea that, that usually our thoughts have a big impact on our emotions. Sometimes use the example of, you know, two kids at a theme park and beside the roller coaster. One is frightened to death and the other is excited beyond words. And, you know, they're both going to be on the same experience, but they have wildly different emotional realities. And it's likely due to what they're telling themselves. One guy's saying, I'm going to die. And one gal is saying, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) So our thoughts influence our, um, our emotions. So with anxiety, it's really obvious, right? If I think that something is dangerous, but it's not, I'm going to be anxious, but I don't need to be. If it really is dangerous, well, then I need to avoid the situation, right? 
when it comes to depression, usually the thoughts that go along with depression are very dark, that I'm somehow no good or that, you know, everything out there is bad. And so how do we work with that? So, I mean, one thing that's really, this is a really good biblical one, the whole idea of gratefulness. You know, I think of, uh, you know, Philippians chapter four, that's a classic uh, passage on it, right? And uh, I think it's, I think it's a great, a great passage. Um, But Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so I think, uh, you know, joy is something that can be cultivated. And if we develop an attitude of gratitude, some people do this, you know, each day, just write down things that I'm, I'm grateful for. You know, there's a, there's a real power in that. Uh, our depressed minds can really go to the negative quickly, and we need to make new troughs in our brain, sort of these joy troughs that we're able to focus on what is, is positive and to be grateful. Yeah, that scripture, Philippians 4, has been meaningful to me too, especially the part that says uh, whatever is true. Right. Because, uh, again, in the, in the times of stress or minor discouragement anyway, um, you know, I mentioned starting to go down these tracks of things that might happen. And then, oh, he, he probably, you know, judging people's motives and assuming the worst and thinking he said this, he probably meant this, and that's going to lead to this. And I would take a step back, recognize I do have some responsibility to obey this text, to, to think about what is true and recognize those things haven't happened. Those things are not true things. What, what do I know is true and uh, know that God is good? You know, that's one that I would dwell on. And thinking about what I know to be true is a, is a healthy exercise. Absolutely. Yeah, so when you talk about, you know, what, what, whatever is true, like this is totally what cognitive therapy is. And I think it is really resonant with the Bible. Like, you know, we're told in, in Corinthians to bring into captivity every thought. So this is, this is really, really biblical. Or you think of, um, I love the scripture about Jeremiah in Lamentations. He says, he's talking about the devastation to Jerusalem. And he says, this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. But he makes the choice to bring that to his mind and to dwell upon that. Exactly. He's not looking on the devastation of, of Jerusalem. He's looking on the Lord's mercies and the Lord's compassion. He's choosing to focus with gratefulness on a truth and that focusing, that thought brings hope. So, you know, people that have studied this, this isn't necessarily biblical, though you can see it reflected in the, in the Bible. A lot of, a lot of um, thinking errors that we have um, can be classified. And sometimes it's helpful just to know the general uh, ways of classifying them. So, for example, uh, people talk about all or nothing thinking. Everything's kind of black or white. This is the person, the perfectionistic person that, you know, they get a C on a a test and they think I'm a total failure. But it's just one test. It's just one test, right? And a C is not the end of the world. And I think you see this in in Elijah's life, you know, I'm the only one left. And either he didn't know or had forgotten about all those that God had reserved for himself. So this this sort of all or nothing uh, thinking. 
Or there's another one called, you know, overgeneralization. One one bad thing happens, and I assume that it's going to keep on happening, uh, you know, forever. You think of Jacob in the Bible. He says, all these things are against me. You know, he's been told about Joseph allegedly uh, killed, and he's, he's losing his sons. And, and it was hard. It was hard. So there's a, there's a sadness piece there. But he was taking it to the worst case. Yeah, and... So sometimes it's not just obsessing with the negative, but sometimes it's a failure to see the positive. I, I can think of, um, well, maybe yes. I guess they're related, but I can think of times maybe there's a a good number out to an event or a meeting and someone might say to me, oh, there's, there's a lot of people here. This is great. This is encouraging. But I would sometimes notice the, you know, the one or two people that weren't there that I was really hoping yes. would be there and I get stuck on that. The ignoring the positive one is actually one of the most insidious ones. So this is the person, in addition to the example you've given, this is the person that receives a compliment, but their immediate thought is, oh, they're just being nice and trying to make me feel better, right? So not being able to savor the positive and undercutting it, right, by ignoring the positive because really positive information is true. Positive information is going to help us think a bit more clearly and positively and hopefully and joyfully. There's a lot of encouragement in the scripture. You know, look at the way that Paul speaks of his co-workers and uh, other churches. He's uh, encouraging to them with lots of positive comments. Yeah. Another one is, is the mind reading one, jumping to conclusions. So, you know, you and I are both uh, speakers. And, you know, if you see somebody in the audience that's sleeping, and your automatic thought is, oh, I must be a real bore. And yet it could have been that they were up all night talking to their friends or maybe they had a, just came from work, right? There could be all sorts of reasons why they're sleeping that are really quite legitimate. But a depressed person will go to the, the most negative uh, interpretation. And so part of the healing is to recognize these automatic thoughts that we have that are not true. They're just thoughts. But they are shaping our emotions. And as we think through the truth of them, we're able to craft new thoughts that are more accurate and, and leave us in a more hopeful place. So there's so many examples of, of, of these types of things, you know, things like, uh, like, like shoulds. And as Christians, we have a lot of shoulds, right? Um, things that we think should happen. And yet, you know, you think of somebody that is, is stressed out often has expectations that are unrealistic and it expectations can lead to depression. Of, do you mean expectations of other people or themselves or both? Both. Expectations of myself. I may be living without reasonable boundaries. No wonder I'm depressed, right? I had way too high expectations of myself in my early ministry. Or it could be expectations of others. Getting really frustrated because imagine a mission worker that is really into being on time that goes to a culture, which is basically most of the world, that is not a time culture, but is, is more an event culture. And it just matters that we get there to the event. And, you know, if, if they have that should deep in their heart, they're going to live with a fair bit of frustration through their ministry. Another one, maybe one last one to mention is, is just personalization. I think we as parents sometimes do this, or maybe I should speak for myself, you know, our, our children do something and, 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 you know, it's either embarrassing or maybe they get a bad report. And when we say, I must be a bad parent, well, maybe I have something to grow with in my parenting, or maybe my child needs to grow too, right? Um, who knows? But it's that personalization, taking everything on myself, 
is often a distortion that leads to discouragement and depression. So you're talking about reframing, reorienting our mind and just uh, identifying some of our sees of our fallen selves. So what else can you share with us about how to shift our mindset to a more accurate and biblical and joyful thinking? So maybe this is, you know, I'm happy to share a little bit of my own story. I, I talked about how in, in early ministry, I, uh, I had a period of depression uh, once before I was married and, and once after. And um, there were parts of it that I owned. Um, you know, I had become too busy, you know, living with too much stress, uh, not enough rest and boundaries. Some of the pieces were were pieces that other people owned, you know, undo what I felt was undue harsh criticism. But I owned, even in that, how attached I was to approval from those, those people. Anyway, um, it was an interesting experience because God transformed it for me, and I was really discouraged. I uh, went down to the Maritimes to have some gospel meetings with uh, Gaius Goff, and I had taken with me, I don't even know how I got it, uh, Chuck Swindoll's commentary on Philippians called uh, Laugh Again. And I started reading it, and he had this, uh, you know, this teaching about choosing joy. I remember reading through the book, and there was this story that maybe your listeners have heard that I just think is so powerful. It's called The Wall. It's about two fellows in a, in a hospital. One fellow was by the window, and the other fellow was by the wall. And the fellow by the window can see out all kinds of beautiful things he's describing, you know, a pond and animals and people walking. And it's just so beautiful. And the fellow by the wall is very jealous. Why does he get all the benefits? And so one night when the fellow by the window is struggling and can't access the nurse, you know, the button to call the nurse, he just lets him, lets him go and he ends up dying. The next day, when they're taking the fellow by the window away, the fellow by the wall asks if he can place. Awful story. But when he's eventually wheeled over to the window, he's going to hoist himself up and to get a first look at the beautiful scenery. And, and he hoists himself up and discovers that the window, right outside the window, is a blank wall. And Chuck Swindoll's point was, you know, we don't choose what happens to us, but we can by God's grace, choose our response. And that's what that man, he had chosen to live in his imagination and to see something. And as I read that, at first I got really angry because I thought, this, this is too, I can't do this. And I threw the book across the room and waited a week, eventually retrieving the book and asking God. I remember praying and saying, God, I don't know that I can do this, but if it's at all possible, I want this in my life. Choose joy. And it was the beginning of a change. And I don't believe that choosing joy is like a snap decision. I mean, don't say that to a, a depressed person. That just sort of increases the self-blame. What kind of a person am I that I can't even do this? But what I did discover in that was my mental orientation that I could choose to head towards joy with gratefulness. And he, he quoted a poem in that book, it says, one ship sails east and one ship sails west, regardless of how the winds blow. It's the set of the sail and not the gale 
that determines the way we go. So it was a process in my life. I couldn't change my circumstances, but I was able to start making little changes, you know, boundaries and, and gratitude and to set my sails towards joy. And it was the beginning of a, a revolution in, in, in my life and my thinking. We also did practical things. I read somewhere that um, laughter, people that laugh, actually it releases a um, endorphin, you know, boosts endorphins in the body and, and, and lowers cortisol, the stress hormone. And so my wife and I, in our second experience of this, we decided to get some good clean comedy and once a week for a period of time, we watched Laurel and Hardy movies and laughed. And there was nothing spiritual about it. And yet the Bible does say, you know, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So I think it was living with wisdom, you know. So I think there's a lot of strategies. You know, that was just a way of learning to laugh and not at the expense of others, but just a true good laugh. And it helped us, but also that piece of being able to change our thoughts. Thank you, Stephen. Those are, uh, those are good thoughts about how we can prevent ourselves from sinking further into that hole and uh, things to help, help us bring ourselves out of it. Admittedly, sometimes people are going to be in such a deep hole or there's a, there's a medical side to this where they do need some more urgent help as well, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I would caution anyone today, if, if you're having suicidal thoughts, please, please get help right away talk to someone about that. But there's also times, obviously, when people need to talk to a doctor, a medical doctor about getting help too, right? Yeah, I would just say, you know, you know, the medical side, uh, the body side, if that's a factor in, in depression, you, you may need medicine. And some Christians feel bad about that. But you know, we, we don't feel bad about needing, you know, medicine for other illnesses, right? So it's just the same. And sometimes, sometimes even medicine may not be permanent. Sometimes we're in a, a stuck spot and we need just a little bit of energy and help get over a bump. And so, because, you know, maybe you want to go and seek out some counseling, but you don't even feel like you have the energy to do that because counseling does take work. And so a little bit of medicine gives you a little bit of a bump to be able to either build some relationships or seek some counseling or you know, read a book, and, and it's going to help you work on your thoughts and get to a, help, a healthier place. But a little bit of medicine can help get you over that bump. So that's sometimes very helpful. And I would just say too, like, like seeking help, uh, don't do it alone. Yeah. Find somebody that you trust, whether professional or not, that is, is able to walk with you and just encourage you. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And now when you do say about just getting over a, a bump, I just say two things. I mean, I know that sometimes medication for mental illness, uh, sometimes the immediate, the, the body's immediate response to that can be a little bit haywire as people try to find the right yeah. medication or the right amount. So yes. cautious with that, of course. And also, as he says, is to get over a bump. That doesn't mean that you can always just go off that stuff cold turkey either. That's something that we need to yes. talk to your doctor yes. about as well. Salt with your doctor because the, the, um, Medicines typically have an on-ramp and off-ramp. So one of the, the biggest issues with medicine and Christians, and not just Christians, any, anybody, is they, they, they start it and don't see a benefit and assume there's no, no value. But it takes a bit of time. 
or they've been on it and experienced benefit and say, well, I'd like to get off and they don't do it under the consultation of a doctor and they go off for a little while and don't see a change, there's a delayed reaction. So you just want to be aware of that. And you did just mention briefly about talking to someone else that we trust. Do you have, do you have just a little more counsel for us as to how to help someone who is greatly discouraged or dealing with actual depression? Well, just be with, I think, is one of the, the biggest things. If you've had your own experience, this usually is helpful. Um, you know, people that have had their own experience and have worked through it usually have a little bit more sensitivity. And, you know, you just need to be able to lean in uh, and, you know, be a presence, a listening ear, an encourager. And I would just encourage you to use the, you know, the three R's, you know, encouragement towards rest, you know, exercise activity or, you know, a quiet center to the life or whether it's relationships, you know, healthy relationships to be pursued, non-healthy relationships to be avoided. Or whether it is is working on you know reframing thoughts, but the more serious the depression, the more common it is to need professional uh, help. There's a huge blessing of of people that are sensitive and are able to lean in and just be there and encourage. And, and just remember that it's not easy to be with somebody that's depressed. So you know, take care of yourself. And I recall when you talked to us here in Halifax about this, it show us a few of these videos about, uh, you know, I had a black dog, his name was Depression. And right. those were so accurate. I mean, it just, it, it amazed me how well those little animations describe the situation. But I think they can, they can be helpful to someone else in giving them a perspective of what the depressed person is dealing with, right? Yes, Absolutely. So there's two uh, videos, I believe they're from the World Health Organization. You can Google them online, black dog depression, and one is on, on symptoms and the other is on caregivers and really, really great, great resources, good, good tools. They're not Christian, so there may be some pieces that you, you may sift out, but in general, very, very good. Good. Well, thank you everyone for sticking with us. I know it's meaningful for a good number of you. Thank you, Stephen, so much for your time and for sharing your personal experience with us as well. You're very welcome. It's a privilege. Blessings on, on everybody that listens. Do pray the Lord's blessing upon you, and we pray that you'll be encouraged and built up in your most holy faith and that you will have grace to choose joy and keep trusting in the Lord and remembering that God is faithful to you even when your faith is waning at times, even when your joy is lacking that the Lord your God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing, Zephaniah 3.17. May the Lord bless you all. Thanks again for tuning in. Music.